at the very end of the article, they have some conclusions. And there was one that really like stuck with me that was just like, especially in an advocate for safer products. I was just like, um, and it was just that they said that this study provided direct evidence of pro-cancerous mechanistic effects of cells exposed to chemicals that are assumed to be safe. Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to a bonus episode of The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder, this podcast is for general educational purposes and is not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or mental illness. And while Alicia is a scientist, she's not a doctor, so we always recommend that you see a licensed health professional accordingly. That said, I want to introduce you to today's guest. Alicia is on my beauty counter team and as a scientist and full of information when it comes to researching the things that are affecting our health. You have a son with type 1 diabetes and came to this community the way a lot of people do, discovering autoimmune and all that kind of stuff, and has taken your journey in a direction similar to my own to learn a broad spectrum of things affecting our health. And you and I were in person in Chicago talking about this scientific article that came out. We were in an elevator. I remember it. And I was like, we should do a bonus show on this. And your eyes went like as wide as they could go. You're like, I don't know about that. (laughs) Well, so I'm not a big influencer. I'm not a big influencer like you. Thank you. You don't have to be an influencer to be full of knowledge and I know that our listeners will appreciate the perspective of a mom just doing the best that she can for her family, as we all are trying to do. So can you tell listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe your scientific background? And then I want to jump into not just this scientific article we were talking about, but also the new law. There's been a 12th health protective law that's passed that we can talk about as well. Sure. Yeah, I have like 10 years of experience before um, ending my scientific career to stay home and homeschool my kids. (laughs) But like 10 years of experience, I was working in drug discovery and development. And before that, a lot of my training is actually more in straight up like environmental science type stuff with ecology and biology, studying aquatic system. My undergraduate degree is actually marine biology. (laughs) And then I have a master's in biology. And for my master's, I switched to studying freshwater. And I was actually looking at studying some enzymatic processes that happen in algae. And that's what allowed me to jump from studying ecology to studying drugs. (laughs) Because in our bodies, we all have a major energy source and how we access that is through enzymes. So it's the set, a similar process in algae. So the literal techniques I was using were very similar. 
And then that just kind of jump-started my career into drug discovery and development. And I was basically like a lab manager technician before jumping into being the head person doing the work on a grant that was examining just like ex- trying to develop a drug for postmenopausal women who can't take estrogen for their the issues that we all experience, which we both have also discussed. Yeah, the, the, the bombing <laughs> menopause of going <laughs> through perimenopause. And so I also have this kind of sat, this interest. I do have some knowledge of estrogen in the body. And so that's also partly why this study in particular was exciting to me. And although my research was not looking at specifically at cancer, we have a side knowledge because we were specifically focusing on trying to develop non-estrogen drug for women who for reasons don't want to take hormone related because of issue specifically concerns about developing breast cancer. And so we weren't studying breast cancer, but it was kind of tangentially related to this prior project. And my old bosses have like a company and they're trying to, I don't even know where they're at anymore because I haven't had an update with them for a while. But yeah, I just, I needed to be home with my kids and yeah, that's kind of where I am now. So I, it, you can kind of see I also have a lot, really broad interest in science in general. Like my when my kid was diagnosed with type one, I like downloaded a bunch of articles and I've read them. And I often I don't I used to read like the research articles with the clinical trials for the various type one diabetes related devices. So we use technology to manage my son's type one. And so I don't really read those much anymore. I just read whatever's interesting. And this one was interesting enough to read. And then I wrote a post about it because I found it to be really exciting. And I saw your post and was in an elevator with you the next day. And now we're here. So now we're here. Let's talk about the article. So as you mentioned, it is a scientific study that then went on and was picked up by a lot of mainstream sources to discuss what the study was saying. So I want to discuss from my layman's perspective and your scientific perspective, like what we're seeing in the study. And I think what, you know, makes it especially interesting from your perspective is, as you said, we see that over estrogenic hormones or hormone mimicking hormones can be carcinogens to human breast tissue. So that can be male or female, where we see that an overabundance of estrogen created from estrogen itself in the body or mimicking hormone stimulation can cause. And so the study was like, let's look at playing with that a little bit and what we can find. Is that an accurate description of what their original hypothesis basis was? Yes, I would say it was something that does a pretty good way of saying it. I would also just make one caveat, which is it's not always just like the excess of estrogen. Sometimes it's literally that the 
so like estrogen is, causes changes in our cells and how the estrogen binds is what can cause these genetic changes in our mm-hmm. cells. And we have, we actually have two receptors for estrogen in our cells. We have ER alpha and ER beta. And based on what is bound into those two things and how it's bound in actually determines what happens. So it literally could be not just that it's extra estrogen, but just that these are estrogen-like and therefore they can bind. And the things that they can, the changes they can cause in our cells are different than our natural estrogen signaling, if that makes sense. Yes, I appreciate your geeking out to that degree. It's nuance. It's nuance. <laughs> it's why I wanted you here. No, it's perfect. And it's so, also why we need these studies, though, because yeah. not necessarily all things are going to cause the same effects in our cells. So we really need to do the studies to fully, like, it's plausible. But this, what's really cool about this study in particular is that they actually did look at the gene expression in healthy breast tissue to not just like an isolated cell line in a Petri dish. And although they did take them out and put them in a Petri dish, but because they took actual healthy cells from women and looked at their, the genetics signaling of those cells that was just happening naturally. And so what did they find? Well, it's a really interesting study because you would think that you can't examine this because it would be not ethical to expose women to things that we thought caused them cancer. So they took an opposite approach. And so they, they use this term redux because what they're doing is they're reducing what are called xenoestrogens. So xeno just is like, I think of the Latin or something for foreign. And so foreign estrogens. And the foreign estrogens they decided to reduce were specifically parabens. And then based on the inventories that they collected from the participants of what products they were using, they found that a common component for almost all the women was that they also were exposed to phthalates through fragrance. So almost all of the participants also had a product that they used daily that included fragrance with undisclosed ingredients that they showed they most of them did have phthalates because they tested for the presence in the women's urine before and after. So they actually took those things away and they gave the women products free of parabens and phthalates and had them use those for 28 days and then examined those, gene- those genes, those genetic expression of those cells before the women removed the parabens and phthalates or the xenoestrogens and then after. So it's a really kind of cool way of doing it, of just taking away as opposed to exposing them. So it's sort of a before and after approach. And I think, you know, what you and I were both fascinated by was this idea that the expression of the genes could change, right? Like, I think what makes it Unique is not just that they took this approach of reducing to see what happened to the expression, but that we're seeing that we can actually reduce our risk of breast cancer by changing the cellular expression, like at the cellular level. So can you talk a little bit about 
that because I think that's where both of our minds were blown was, wait, it's already kind of turned on and now it's turning off. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the thing that was really cool is also the thing that was really cool is they did cytology, which is just looking at cells. And we all know from being women that we get mammograms, which are visual examinations of our breast tissue to look for abnormal cells. So these cells that they pulled uh, from these women's breasts, they literally took, it's called a fine needle aspirate, and they were all totally benign, healthy looking cells on the outside. But when they looked at the gene expression, and not just like the presence of genes, but that these genes were turned on or turned off. They were specifically looking at all a whole big slew, 567, a panel of known cancer-associated, like functional cancer genes. So these are things, these are genes that we know do things related to the development and the ma maintenance of cancer cells. And what they found is that these women who were using personal care products seven days a week that contained parabens and phthalates, that even though these cells looked healthy on the outside, on the inside, there were various cancer genes that were turned on. And when they had the women remove parabens and phthalates, they found that those cancer genes were turned off. And conversely, not just cancer genes, but the other thing that's really cool about estrogen in our cells is that it actually helps our cells maintain health and it actually helps suppress cancer. It's a really like cool molecule. And so not only were cancer genes turned off, but Normal cell signaling due to normal estrogen was returned. So we could turn on tumor suppression and turn on genes that help cells maintain their health, basically, with regards to progression of cancer, which I thought was also just like really, I was just like blown away by that. Like, it's not just that these things turn on and turn off or turn off various genes, but it's also that these, they showed that these xenoestrogens, these from personal care products specifically, infringe on our abilities, our body's ability to have for our normal estrogen signaling to do what it normally does. Like that also blew my mind. I was like, there's evidence now that, that like mechanistic evidence showing that these things infringe in our bodies on just normal health too and it was returned with the removal of them and it was yeah i just my mind was blown yes and i love that it was very specific and what it removed it wasn't like putting the women in a bubble right like this is something that we can replicate in our own lives and that the scientists were able to identify it was both parabens and phthalates that accumulated because they could see them even if they weren't disclosed on labels which is what we talk about a lot like just because it says paraben free or phthalate free on the label doesn't actually mean that they tested products to ensure that they weren't going to have continued exposure 
and in just 28 days to not just stop harm from continuing to accumulate, but that they were able to reverse the signaling of cancer being turned on is something that is incredible and provides a basis for a lot of future studies in terms of how else this can affect things, right? Like they can only speak to what they studied, which is specific to breast cancer, but we know that parabens and phthalates are linked to a whole host of potential health issues. And so then the question kind of goes on to say, do our bodies have the capabilities of, you know, continuing this health improvement in other areas when we stop exposure to these things? And I think what is especially magical is that we are in a time period where consumers are becoming more aware and legislative change is happening to prevent this exposure. And it's very slow going. And it's like one state at a time or one different thing happening in different areas. And it's very difficult for a, like a lay person to follow. But I think this study coming out and in the same week, I think it was, the Washington's Toxic-Free Cosmetic Act was implemented in May of 2023. The study was also May of 2023 to see that we are in a place where finally something is being done to protect and prevent the continued exposures for people because it's just ridiculous. There, there are so many options for us to feel and look our best. We do not need to expose ourselves to cancer to do that. Like, it's just silly. And brands need to be held accountable to making products that are safe. And I think, like, the culmination of both of those things happening at once was super exciting. And we happened to be in Chicago together at the same time. And we were nerding out pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of the things there was, like, at the very end of the article, they have some conclusions. And there was one that really, like, stuck with me that was just, like, especially in an advocate for safer products. I was just, like, um, and it was just that they said that this study provided direct evidence of pro-cancerous mechanistic effects of cells exposed to chemicals that are assumed to be safe. And I just love that they had that phrase of assumed quote unquote, safe in the article. I was just like, woo. <laughs> and then also that they literally, I think sometimes, especially people who are dealing with cancer in their lives, they have so much worry and so many questions and then, and feeling like a loss of control, I would assume that the idea that like this is something you could do for, your, for yourself, like this is a, a plausible strategy. Like that's what they say in the paper. They're like, this is a plausible biological strategy for cancer prevention. And I'm just like, how hopeful is that? Like to give the, the average person who might be, you know, very concerned with the, their personal development of breast cancer, that to, for them to actually know that what they're doing is going to be helping. Will it prevent them from developing cancer? That we don't know. But the fact that somebody can have like a one piece of control in it is, for me, I was just very, also just very hopeful. Like the study was very, made me very joyous 
and hopeful and celebratory. So, and then you add on it like legislation and you're like, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think we're in a world where there is never ending barrage of bad news. Like it just feels very, whether it's access to social media or, you know, the click bait-ness that people use to make things sound drastic to get people interested or, you know, whatever the case may be, there is also just a barrage of badness these days. It just is like overwhelming. And I am thrilled to be able to be here today to talk about some good news, right? Like it's good news that we have found a way to help people prevent the expression of cancer in breast cells. Like that is a great thing. And it, like you said, there's no guarantee, obviously, that, oh, if you just remove parabens and phthalates from personal care, then you won't get breast cancer. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is we can see in science in the cells that it is improving the health of the cells. And so that's not going to hurt you to switch, right? Like we can see that yes. as a positive thing. And we can see that the good news just continues when we incorporate laws that then require potentially harmful ingredients to be removed from personal care. And therein lies the hope that somewhere in the future, it's not tomorrow, it's certainly not today, but that in the future, like our children won't have to read every single label to see if it contains a potentially harmful chemical because there is this hope in the future that with what we're learning in science and what's being brought through legislative change that products that are on the shelf you don't have to assume that they're safe anymore because they actually will hopefully be safe so i do want to talk about the legislative the 12th law as i mentioned so beauty counter has been actively involved in advocacy and lobbying for health protective laws for a little over 10 years. And this is the 12th law that they've been a part of in Washington state. And I think it was last year, it did not pass. The Toxic Free Cosmetic mm -hmm. Act was proposed. It had a wall. It didn't pass. And it was re-proposed in May of 2023. And it was passed and signed by the governor mid-May. And the Toxic Free Cosmetic Act specifically is banning chemicals of concern in beauty and personal care products. And it is more expansive than any other state or federal law. So it includes PFAS, which are forever chemicals that we've talked about, like both classifications. And I mean, there's like thousands of them at this point. So we just group them all under the category of PFAS, lead which is still in products, and that's always blows my mind, as well as mercury. I'm like, why are lead and mercury in anything we're putting on our body? I don't understand it. Phthalates, which we've talked about. Triclosan, which is still found in some antibacterial soaps often is where you find it and has been linked to causing super strains of bacteria that are antibiotic resistant. So that's not good. 
as well as formaldehyde releasing agents. So not only is formaldehyde a problem, but oftentimes when chemicals combine, they can then, even though formaldehyde isn't listed in the ingredients, when they combine, they release formaldehyde and that can become problematic when you're using, I think, like shampoo with water and different kinds of things where it's coming into contact and then actually releasing those chemicals as you're using them. So the law covers all of those areas. What it doesn't cover is parabens. <laughs> and Alicia yes. and I were like, this can be a good conversation about, even though this is the most strict law for Washington, um, the one thing that is good is that it allows for continued research of potentially harmful and toxic materials to be banned under this law that was passed. So basically, it's like this umbrella law that is covering the things they've had substantiation to support banning and at the same time saying, and going forward, we're going to continue to fund research into additional potentially harmful ingredients that we can then ban in the future as well. So that's where that hope of the future comes in. It's not today, it's not tomorrow, because we're just seeing this article about how important reducing parabens is. And yet this law that's the most stringent that we've ever had in just one state still doesn't cover parabens. But it's progress. It's still to be celebrated, right? So Yeah. And the other thing is this paper is also just like an example of a technique that can be used for, for like in other situations. Like they can do this reduction of exposure type of study and pull out cells and do genetic analysis for mechanistic ties. Like perhaps the reason parabens, I mean, I'm only speculating here, but like perhaps part of the reasoning for not including parabens within that law was related to lack of mechanistic study and that it was all very they didn't feel that the science was sound enough yet and maybe next time that somebody comes forward for adding things to underneath that law that we can be hopeful that parabens would be included but also this type of study i mean as a scientist we'd like to not reinvent the wheel if we don't have to and that's what we can do other scientists can take this type of study and do it with some other disease or with other other chemicals of concern. Yeah, I agree. And I have hope for that, especially because we see continued expansion of ingredients that aren't exactly what is saying is banned, but is like a sister cousin to it. And then you then it takes a while for legislation for consumer awareness and everything to catch up to be like, no, I don't want that either. You know, I talked about the non-toxic pans and how the marketing on all of that is ceramic. And yet it's not actually ceramic. It's using a polymer filler that probably has PFAS in it, right? But they're not disclosing that. And it's not in the marketing because it's not one of the main types of PFAS, right? It's like a a different sister to it. And so we see where brands want to deliver what consumers want. Let me be clear. I don't think I don't think most brands are out there to be like, ah, ha, ha, you know, it would be great as if I gave all of my buyers cancer. Like that doesn't benefit them either. <laughs> right? Like I'm not, we're not here to be like conspiracy theorists on the whole thing. But I do think that 
you know, a brand is looking at, you know what, a consumer wants a waterproof mascara, a consumer wants a pan that doesn't stick when they make eggs. How can I deliver that? Oh, this isn't the identified toxic ingredient, but it acts and delivers the same results. Let's go ahead and use that one. And maybe intentionally not doing the testing of, oh, let me check and make sure it's safe before I do that because that costs money, it takes time, and that much more difficult. So I think what we really need in the world that we live in is some sort of guidelines that is here to protect not just people, but also the planet. Like a lot of these things are affecting our water supplies and all different kinds of things that are creating issues for species beyond humans. And that's where, you know, we can kind of see that we have a broad problem that we have to fix. And we can only really do that from a legislative perspective as we require brands to be accountable for making sure that things are safe for people on the planet. And laws like the one in Washington is a great place to start. This is, I think, one of six states. So California, New York, Maryland, Minnesota, Maine, and Colorado also have their own individual regulations. So if you live in any of those states, check out some of the laws that apply to you. And MOCRA, the federal law that we talked about having been enacted in December of 2022, also starts to be in effect. Things start to roll in 2024, 2025. The problem with that is that we already have representatives in the House trying to create boundaries around how to make that work and creating some red tape and roadblocks that if under that law, it's identified that there's a potentially harmful ingredient, it would need to go through the house every single time for approval before it was banned, which is not the intention of MOCRA. The intention of MOCRA is to empower the agency that is in control of this, FDA, right? Every time we do a pharmaceutical, we're not coming to the house and saying, is this particular ingredient for this particular drug being manufactured a problem? No, instead it's going through the agencies that are delegated to because that's their specialty and area to own that. And the proposition that these ingredients could only be banned if it was approved through the legislative house is incredibly frustrating because we, I felt like we just made progress, but where we can have control and those kinds of things don't come into play at all is when brands have to be held accountable at a state legislative letter level level. Thank you. Because it is very unlikely that brands are going to make products with a formula for six states, but a different formula for the rest, especially because, you know, you have stores that like are literally across the street from each other across state lines. It's not like the formula in Europe versus the formula here or the formula in Canada where it crosses an international line and then it's being distributed because there are brands who make things here in the States with a different formula that they send to Europe to comply with their requirements. But for state distribution, it's so much more difficult. And so if Washington state is requiring it, if California, which is one of the largest economies in the world, is requiring it, 
it is likely that all consumers in the states are going to see benefit from that, which at least creates, again, that hope in the future for me. Yeah, I totally agree. And there's more, there are more states that are looking to pass other laws too. So I forget the full list, but I know yeah. I'm in Wisconsin and I know there's one in Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, not here, but close by. Yeah, no, I haven't heard any for Virginia yet either, but Maryland is just one state up. So I'm like, you know, fist bump to y'all. And I think I've seen some for D.C. proper. And in addition, just this week, there was a package of four bills to, again, modernize the federal cosmetics laws in Congress. I don't, I think with everything that's going on right now, that's like the least of everyone's concerns. But like it happened in December 2022, that can be included in things that are negotiated and agreed upon by everybody. And some of this stuff is like supply chain transparency, which we know from the work that we've done at Beauty Counter, there's a lot of child labor and unfair, unhealthy things that are asked of brands providing supplies to manufacturers who are manufacturers are assuming, oh, if you're giving it to me and you signed this piece of paper that says, yep, I don't do anything bad, then they move forward. But with something like a transparency requirement, that would actually help us prevent things like child labor from mining mica or different kinds of things like that that can be really dangerous. So that's like one of the bells. And I know listeners, if you're feeling like you want your representatives to make sure that the safer beauty bill package is included in any upcoming legislation that's passed, you can text raise up beauty to 52886 ask your members of congress to support the safer beauty bill package and it'll be like literally it'll take you two minutes to just fill out your name and zip code and they'll give you a form letter that is really best to customize you know put a little personal stuff in there but the form letter will be written for you and it'll pop up on your phone and it's super easy but it would require things like disclosing fragrance, protecting women of color and salon workers with a higher rate of exposure, and creating supply chain transparency like we talked about. So all good stuff that I wish I could say was already happening, but it's not, and is aligned to Breast Cancer Prevention Partners, which is a nonprofit group that Beauty Cutter often works with. And again, ties us back to our original topic of how these harmful ingredients can negatively affect our health. Okay, Alicia, I think we we expanded our elevator. Our elevator pitch is usually supposed to be, <laughs> what, like two floors? I think we, this is a much longer ride in the elevator for people, but I think we covered a lot of ground here. Is there anything I missed? No, I think we did a pretty good overview of it. Of all the things. And I thought it was a good tie-in, too, between the yeah. study and the laws being passed. Because yeah. it really does take both. It does. It really does. And listeners, if you are interested in learning more, um, some of the information that we pulled today is from a reference that I put in the show notes for you at realeverything.com. And there is a webinar by a breast cancer 
doctor, an MD with 30 years of senior clinical research and science who did kind of an overview on this study and kind of more information about it. So we'll put a link in the show notes for you if you want to learn even more. And if this inspires you, someone you know is at a higher risk of breast cancer or, you know, has had exposure, something, anything like that, please, please feel free. I would love so much for you to pass the show along to them. And if this has been sent to you, we appreciate your willingness to, to listen, to be here all the way to the end and to hopefully learn and think about not the shame or the guilt of what products you may have used before or, you know, the anger that comes with a brand who is using ingredients that are known to be harmful, but instead to think about how hopeful it is that we can potentially turn this expression off with just 28 days. Like that's an incredible opportunity and a much more healthful way to approach our future. Like I know I used a bunch of toxic stuff when I was younger up until kind of my mid thirties and we all did, right? Like when it comes to, you know, whether it was fast food or, you know, products that I was buying that had harmful ingredients and all different kinds of things, like thinking about what I should have done differently in my past doesn't change anything. All I can do is be like, okay, now I've learned. I know better. I'm going to do better. And I'm not going to be perfect. There's nothing that's perfect in life, but I can definitely improve and make choices towards the betterment of my health. So again, if you've made your way to the end of the show, hopefully you're thinking about that mindset, let go of, you know, any sort of guilt or shame. Run your products through the EWG app. There's a great like little scanner code. It's a free app and they'll scan the barcode of the products that you're using and tell you the risk factors. But I would say if you see the word fragrance or perfume in any of the ingredients, that's something to transition away from and into safer products. That's like usually the first thing that I tell people is I'm like, that's an easy one to look for. And usually if a brand is actively fragrance free or perfume free, you're going to find that the rest of their ingredients, they're making an effort to make them safer. And if you're looking to switch to safer, Alicia and I would both be happy to help you discover, you know, whatever kind of product it is that you want to switch to is something we've been doing in our lives for a really long time. And we're both get much joy out of helping people switch to safer. So I'm going to put Alicia's contact information and the Instagram post that she made about this article in case you want to share it in the show notes as well. Alicia, thank you so much for joining the show today. I know you were a little hesitant, but <laughs> I really appreciate your knowledge and your willingness to kind of geek out here today. Thank you for having me. Can I share two other things related Please. to the study and what Please. you were just talking about? Yes. One, some of the personal care products that the people were switching to, like they were given a kit and their sunscreen and some of their makeup was beauty counter. So beauty counter was part of, was literally part of the study. <laughs> Not that we're biased. That had nothing to do with our interest in the study. <laughs> I was, I didn't know that when I read it. And then I looked at the list and I was like, what? And number it's two. because it is tested for safety. Like yes, these scientists yes. tested the products and were like, you can still use these. Yes. And then the second thing was that when they were looking at people's inventories of what they were currently using to try to find people who were using products that contained parabens, 
they one of the screening tools they used was EWG Skin Deep's database. So those are good enough for scientists. It's They're good almost, enough for me. It's almost like we know what we're talking about. <laughs> well, thanks for that validation and for being here today. And listeners, I want to thank you again for your willingness to be open to grow through your own personal change. I know no one's perfect, but in listening, learning, and unlearning, we can all become better versions of ourselves. So thank you again. Thank you, Stacey. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.